Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash. I don't even remember that party. I was wasted. Yeah, me too. I, I browned out that evening. Browned out? What's browned out? Oh, it's when you drink so much that everything goes brown. It's not as severe as a blackout, because I remember bits and pieces. I like to call it browning out. <laughs> You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster Podcast with hosts Amy and Kevin. And we are coming back at you with episode 53. You Ed, sound like you're not quite sure I about know, that. I know. It's because I didn't look it up, but I, I'm pretty sure it is episode 53, which is the brownout strangler, which is one of my favorite things to say. It just, it literally rolls off the tongue. It feels good. It feels good in my mouth, but... <laughs> wow. But I know that it's not good. Because this guy's a piece of shit. His name is Edward... Leonsky. Yeah. What's his middle name? Is it James or something? Uh, you'll tell us. But anyway, I might tell you. Eddie Leonsky, who is known as the brownout strangler... And the singing strangler as well. And you'll find out why he's called both of these things in just a moment. He was a happy, yeah, happy fellow. We'll post pictures on our Facebook page and all of our social medias and stuff. But he has a creepily large Boy Scoutish smile. Have you seen it? I think I saw it. He had it's like that real those crispy corners. You know who um you know who else has his smile? The Den- Joker. Dennis Quaid. Oh, yeah. Same. He told he kind of like really sharp corners. Dennis Quaid, Jack Nicholson, those really really sharp corners. Jack Nicholson who also played the Joker in one, you know, the only real Joker. What? Okay. Okay, don't act like it's not true. What about Joaquin Phoenix? Whatever. What do you mean, whatever? That's like not even, to me, like that movie was like not even really a part of the whole Marvel or whatever, you know. Is it Marvel? I don't even know. I don't know. You're asking the wrong. It just doesn't seem like, it was like too serious to be part of everything. I miss, I miss Danny DeVito as the penguin. Wait, Danny, was it Danny DeVito? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You're really dating yourself here. (laughs) Jack Nicholson was the Joker. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was Catwoman. Yes, she was. And Michael Keaton was Batman. Yeah, well, have you ever heard of this thing called time? <laughs> it changes things. <laughs> yeah, I know. Look at Stupid. me. Stupid. I keep getting more beautiful with age. I did like The Dark Knight because I think Christian Bale is an interesting person. So Joaquin Phoenix is just chopped liver? Yeah, he is. No. I, no. That movie was killer. And you, you know what? <laughs> Here's the funniest thing. We're living it right now. If you go well, downtown that's... Portland, it's a lot like <laughs> Gotham City right now. <laughs> Well, maybe that's why I don't like it as much or like I don't like view it in the same light. I just feel like the whole like Batman, Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson era was like it was more comic bookish, whereas like the Walking Phoenix one was like too serious. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I can agree I with miss, you there. I miss fantasy. <laughs> yeah. It's a little too real, that one. <laughs> yeah. So, wow, we started talking about Batman, but we're I mean, he's kind of a serial killer. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, is it? It's like Dexter. Is it serial killing if you're killing the bad guys? Yeah, vigilante justice. I mean, he is kind of of all the or Bill well, Gates. Well, kind of of all the superheroes. It's, you're not funny. Of all like the superheroes, like Batman is like he's he doesn't have special powers. He's just rich. He's like a rich weirdo. Having that much money is almost a superpower. He truly is a vigilante. Like, anyways, um, well, you know, maybe we'll do an episode on Batman. Anyways, <laughs> Amy, Batman's not real. <laughs> I think Elon Musk is trying to be Batman. Yeah, I, a lot of these people seem like they're trying to be the bad guys from these Batman movies. Batman. Bat. We could do an episode on Batman. <laughs> All right, all right, let's get to it. Tell us about all right, the just brownout so strangler. A little caveat to this. Caveat. <laughs> Thank you, teacher. <laughs> brownout isn't what you think it is. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> Amy always thinks about poop. No, I was I was thinking it has it's kind of like a blackout, but a little bit more muted. Like a near death. <laughs> Strangulation, sort sort of. That when you shit your pants. All right, just read the script. <laughs> Amy prepared this nice script for me. I did this. I've done all the book reports for like the last five. You're better at it, <laughs> teacher. So the old. Oh well, so part of why we learned about this Leonsky character, the brownout strangler, is that we went to Australia in the search of a brownout. Uh, about a year and a half ago, right? Something like that, year or two. I'm yeah, not sure. you you played there back, with back when blasphemy. the good old days yeah. when you could like travel the globe and yeah, live your life. So we went to Australia and we did kind of a little true crime tour because it's pretty easy to do in Australia. <laughs> yeah, founded by criminals, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean that was kind of the basis of it. Was it was a penal colony, and so. One of the most famous jails, which they spell jail. I I don't I don't know if it's, it's an Australian old English, and it's an old English thing. G G A O L. For a while, we were calling it Gowl. Correction: She was calling it. <laughs> I didn't know what it was, but when we got there, we're like, oh, it's just an old way of spelling jail. Yeah. So we went to the old Melbourne jail, which was super cool. And we are reading about all the kind of infamous and famous inhabitants of the jail. And the one that kind of caught my eye at the end of the tour, if you will. We didn't really take a formal tour. But one of the last cells I looked at and hang hung out in was this guy's. And so we decided, you know, we should definitely do an ep- I mean, this was actually going to be our first episode. And we actually did record it. It was just terrible. So we decided not to put it out. So this is us kind of redoing it in a sense. So that's where this is kind of born out of. So Kevin's going to tell us about the old Melbourne jail. So yes, this old Melbourne jail was built in the mid-1800s and held dangerous criminals alongside petty offenders, the homeless and the mentally ill. It operated from 1842 to 1929. Since records were kept, 186 offenders have been hanged in Victorian jails. Of these, 133 to 135 were executed in the old Melbourne jail and 10 in Pentridge prison, including Australia's most infamous citizen, the Bush Ranger Ned Kelly, which we will cover in a future episode. 
Another infamous criminal that housed was Edward Joseph Leonsky, also known as the Brownout Strangler. <laughs> That's still one of my favorite names. I know. It's just, it's, yeah. You can visit the old Melbourne jail and check out its creepy array of death masks, jail wall scrawlings, and stories of prisoners inside the cells. There were some murders committed during a 15-day span in May of 1942 during World War II when American soldiers were occupying Melbourne. So, brownout refers to Melbourne's wartime status of keeping low lighting. So, not a blackout, but certainly dark enough to obscure the city from any Japanese pilots lurking above. This definitely made crimes easier to commit. You don't want to get bombed, so you turn off the fucking yeah. lights. At night, yeah. yeah. And some, you can shit your pants if you want. <laughs> Making an official brown out. <laughs> some more historical context. American military had been welcomed to the city, says Bart Zeno, a historian at Victoria's Deakin University. As the war tore across Europe, troops in Southeast Asia were thinned to protect the home front. Imperial Japan... Uh, Whoa. <laughs> Careful <laughs> there. <laughs> Imperial Japan snatched up the region taking advantage of local populations weakened by colonialism. With Australian and New Zealand forces supporting the British in the Middle East, invasion looked near certain. It didn't help that Winston Churchill, the British Prime Minister throughout all of World War II, had abandoned Australia, refusing to send troops to protect the country. In response, Australian Prime Minister John Curtin reached out to U.S. President Franklin D. Roosevelt, who sent thousands of servicemen from 1942 onward. By 1943, 250,000 American GIs were roaming the streets of Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane. Australia and its population of 7 million finally felt safe. In the end, Japan never did invade. However, the real terror came in the form of a smiling, singing psychopath spree killer named Edward Joseph Leonsky, a.k.a. Eddie, an American GI. According to the FBI, the general definition of a spree killer is a person, or more than one person, who commits two or more murders without a cooling-off period. The lack of a cooling-off period marks the difference between a spree killer and a serial killer. Eddie could potentially fit both definitions when we look at the timing of his murders. Born into an abusive New Jersey family with a history of mental illness, Eddie Leonsky was a bodybuilder, a boxer, and an al alcoholic. Wow. <laughs> That's a great combo. <laughs> yeah. Strength and blackout drunk. And skills. Fighting skills. He was drafted into the military in 1941. While stationed with the 52nd Signal Battalion at San Antonio, Texas, Leonsky began to drink heavily. He preferred whiskey laced with hot peppers and displayed his strength by vaulting onto the bar counters and walking along them on his hands. Dude, he's such a bro. <laughs> Total Chad. Like, oh, I could drink this hot pepper juice. Oh, yeah. watch me do this. You I'm know? fucking wasted he's on such, fireball. Like he's a, such a douche. Yeah. Take my shirt off. And... Yeah, that was early fireball, huh? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So about this time, he tried to strangle a woman. The American authorities failed to comprehend that this was an issue. <laughs> well, you know. Well, we did train him to kill. Yeah, I guess. Uncle Sam did his job well. 
So instead of punishment, they shipped him off to Melbourne. And that's in Australia, if you didn't know that by now. <laughs> On February 2nd, no significant date there. Hey. 1942. <laughs> that's my birthday. <laughs> Not 1942, but... He left behind an unhappy family, a mother mentally unstable, two brothers with prison records, and a third in a psychiatric hospital. Yeah, and I wanted to include that information. Yeah, I wanted to include that information, too, to just kind of point out that he was not going to fall far from that tree. I mean... I mean, he's set up to be a psychotic serial killer, unfortunately. (laughs) So in Melbourne, Leonsky prepared breakfasts at Camp Pell. And so that meant from about 10.30 a.m. onward, he can drink himself into a stupor, get into fights, and entertain other boozers with his bar stunts. Yeah. So it sounds like he's... He had a cush job at Acclimating Camp to Australian life perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. We love our Australian listener. This is, this is two. I think we have two. <laughs> yeah, you guys are great. I wish I wish it could just stop there. And it was just like, well, Eddie was a silly guy, but it didn't. So we're going to talk about victim number one. Her name was Ivy McCloyd, who was 40 years old. And she was killed on May 3rd, 1942. And a lot of this information I got from a Herald Sun four-part article and one of the reasons I really enjoy, I really liked it is that it quoted a lot of what he said directly in the trial. So most of the stuff that I'm going to be recounting with the victims is going to be straight from Eddie's mouth. And although he's a psycho, I do actually believe the things that he said. She stepped back into the doorway and I grabbed her, Leonsky said in a statement to police. I grabbed her neck. I changed the position of my hands so that the thumbs were at her throat, and I choked her. She fell, and I fell on top of her. Her head hit the wall as she was falling. I started to rip her clothes. I ripped them, and I ripped them. Ivy McCloyd was found dead in Albert Park, Melbourne. She had been beaten and strangled, and because she was found to be in possession of her purse, it was evident that robbery was not the motive. Just six days later, victim number two, Pauline Coral Thompson, was killed on May 9th, 1942. She was 31 years old and was the wife of a Bendigo police constable and was found lying on the steps of her Spring Street home, also her clothes in tatters. Police discovered that Pauline had met an American soldier in a cafe before leaving with him for drinks at a nearby hotel on Collins Street. She was singing in my ear, Leonsky said. It sounded as if she was singing for me. She had a nice voice. I grabbed her. I grabbed her. I don't know why. She stopped singing. She was last seen in the company of a young man who was described as having an American accent. A witness said that on the night of the killing, a disheveled American man had approached him asking for directions, seemingly out of breath and covered with mud. This description matched the individual Pauline Thompson was seen with on the night of her murder, as well as the descriptions given by several women who had survived recent attacks. Within a few nights after Pauline's death, Eddie actually drunkenly sort of confessed to a fellow soldier that he had committed the crime, but the soldier didn't come forward. One interesting kind of tidbit about this was that, you know, the 
public was really desperate to find whoever this man was that was going around and strangling women. And so for the first time ever, uh, Victorian police would recreate the victim in a sense. They printed a picture of her face out and taped it to a mannequin dressed very similarly as her. And they were hoping that this like display would jog someone's memory and or have someone come forward who remembered seeing her in that condition. It's kind of weird, right? Uh, yeah, that's fucking creepy. Yeah, but it worked. I mean, people did come forward. So victim number three was Gladys Hosking, who was also 40 years old. And she was killed on either May 18th or 19th, 1942. So what, that's about five, four, four or five days later. And so that's why I kind of like hold back on calling him totally a spree killer because spree killers have quote unquote, a, you know, no, you know, cooling off period between these are spaced out on average about five days apart, which I, I think is a little bit of a cooling off period. So that's why a lot of sources kind of vacillate between calling him a spree killer and calling him a serial killer. I think he's a little bit of both. I think that had he not been stopped at this point, um, he would have continued on. And I think he probably would have escalated, you know. Yeah, it sounds like there's something inside that he can't control. Yeah, and, and once it's been once it's been set loose, it can't go back. Yeah, he's like the Incredible Hulk yeah. hopped up on well, I mean, fireball. And, exactly, and it's just like that idea of like he rips their clothes, he drinks like a crazy person, like with hot peppers, and he seems incredibly strong, you know, walking on his hands on the bar tops and stuff, like... He just seems like he has way too much energy and hatred in his heart. And this is how he releases it, you know. And he's really young. At this point, he's in his mid-20s or like early 20s. Like he's a very, very young guy. So like I said, victim number three was Gladys Hosking, who was 40 years old. And her strangled body was found inside the Royal Park boundary not far from Camp Pill, where he was stationed. She would often have dinner with friends before returning to her boarding house, which was very close to the crime scene. An Australian soldier told police that he saw a U.S. officer slipping under the Royal Park fence on the night of the murder. The soldier shown a torch, um, which is a flashlight. That's what they call them in Australia. Thank you. The soldier shown a torch in Leonsky's muddied face, asking why he was covered from head to toe in yellow mud. I am the brownout strangler. <laughs> Leonsky replied, I fell over in a pool of mud going across the park. Well, that's kind of a boring, <laughs> it's kind of a boring explanation, but yeah. But yeah, he wasn't doing that. He was actually out committing murder, right? So after witness counts and linked evidence, Eddie was arrested and charged. He gave a full confession without like, I think any prompting. I think, I think at this point, I think he wanted to be stopped. I mean, I, I don't know if he I don't know if he actually wanted to be stopped, but there's that idea where like criminals almost like give themselves up because they're just like, if you don't stop me, I'm just going to keep doing this. I'm a monster, you know. Mm -hmm. So he gave a full confession and he said that he'd go out bar hopping every night and get intoxicated um, and that he became violent. And he bragged that he would often go through about 30 beers a night. Is that a lot? That sounds about average when you're in your 20s. How many beers, what's the most amount of beer you've gone through in a night? I don't know. <laughs> you got, who's too drunk to remember? A lot. 
Yeah. W- Maybe 30? not that money. So 30 is a lot. That is a lot. That's a lot of liquid. How many times do you think he went to the bathroom that night? <laughs> I don't think maybe that's how he looks so buff. He was just filled with piss. <laughs> His self-confessed motives for the killing was a twisted fascination with female voices, especially when they were singing. And his claim was that he killed the women to get at their voices. He sound. Did you ever watch The Little Mermaid? Come on. This sounds you like have a trap. Sisters. I've. I know who she is. Yes. You know Ursula. Mm-hmm. That's what she wanted to steal Ariel's singing voice. That's like how that was the deal that she made. She's like, I'll have your voice and I'll let you be a human. Hmm. Did you know that? No. You're gonna I didn't. get. You're gonna get to know The Little Mermaid real soon. Mm. Uh, I can't <laughs> wait. But yeah, she. this guy sounds like Ursula <laughs> from The Little Mermaid. An Australian psychiatrist told the court that Leonsky had a psychopathic personality and would surely murder again. Absolutely agree. He sat in the city watch house cell for 22 weeks before being read a letter from U.S. President FDR confirming his death sentence. And so something really interesting about this, too, is that... It was the first and only time the citizen of another country was tried and sentenced to death in Australia under the law of his own country. So he was never sentenced in Australian courts. They just wrote to FDR and was like, what should we do with this guy? And FDR wrote back, kill him. Like, there you go. Problem solved. Yeah. And it was only the second time an American serviceman was executed during World War II. So kind of interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, and like, I, apparently that does not happen because usually countries where foreigners, you know, commit crimes, they want to be the ones to try them. But because it was wartime, right? And I think that they wanted to keep things civil with the United States. They let it be the United States call, knowing that the United States would be like, yeah, you can execute him. We're good. Right. Well, our soldiers were there because... They were protecting right. Australian citizens, except for that guy. The city watch house was the place where felons were brought to face justice, whether arrested in the streets of Melbourne for minor dis- misdemeanors or being brought before the court for significant crimes. The watch house was built in 1909 and operated until 1994, and its original interior is complete in every respect. But Leonsky, like I said, never faced a Victorian court for his crimes. Rather... He was court-martialed by the U.S. Army in a trial that lasted five days. So, again, they they kept it completely out of Australia's court to try him. I'm sure that they wanted to to some extent, but I think that they also kind of trusted maybe the United States to just do it, like, to do them justice. Because, I mean... Because they did sentence him to death. (laughs) Right. And it wasn't too long after the crimes. So, on the way to the gallows, remember, the gallows... In the old jail. Yeah, we saw them. Uh Uh-huh, it's still there. Yep. On the way to the gallows, he was singing happily, it's a lovely day tomorrow, tomorrow is a lovely day. And so all of the, like, one thing I read about when I was in his, like, little jail cell at the Watchtower, because that's where they have this big display of, like, the laughing, singing soldier or whatever, is that they were just saying, like, how, like, all the people that were, like, in, like, his handlers were just totally creeped out by him because he was constantly, like, laughing and singing. And what's crazy, too, is that, yeah, he is psychotic, but at the same time, he's fucking insane. Like, this dude is not all there. And they got a psychiatrist, basically, the United States, like, court martial 
basically was like, they got a psychiatrist to say that he wasn't insane because if he was... Then they couldn't kill him. Exactly. And so there were some sources that I read that were like, yeah, they they got, they got found the psychiatrist that they wanted who said he wasn't crazy so that there was no hang up about murdering or, or about... So that there was no Execute. hang up about executing this guy. Exactly. So most likely to mask his fears and hide his true anxiety about being killed... He did sing his way to jail, but he was hanged at Pentridge Prison on November 9th, 1942, on the same gallows that killed Ned Kelly. Weirdly enough, he was buried three times, once at the Springvale Cemetery near Coburg, Australia, and then he was moved to the USAF, I'm assuming United States Air Force? Yes. Cemetery in Ipswich, Australia, which is in Queensland, and then he was moved to American soil at the Schofield Barracks Post Cemetery in Honolulu, Hawaii, on April 14th, 1949, almost seven years after his execution. So what do you think? I think that he should have left that whiskey and hot pepper shit alone. Yeah, and also probably... I wish that his crime spree would have never began because he would have been at least i don't know put on some kind of watch list after strangling a woman when he was like in his early 20s in the united states but they like shipped him off to melbourne just like how they did with like catholic priests and stuff it's just like oh shit he's fucking up shit here we'll just ship him over here you know your problem now yeah it's it's really sad that it seems like the deaths of three innocent women in australia could have been prevented because he probably shouldn't even been there in the first place he probably shouldn't have been in the military. It was the draft that really, I mean, we can blame a lot of things, but realistically, this was a sick individual who was, unfortunately, it seemed destined to be a shitty person. The interesting part part about it is, like, the whole fascination with singing. Yeah. Like, he wanted to somehow, almost like Dahmer, like, inhabit like it's it seems like if he liked the singing which it seems like he did strangling them would get them to stop you know but like he it's almost like he was trying to think about it in a way of like inhabiting the voices or like keeping the voices eternally his or something kind of like how Dahmer was trying to make zombie lovers or Lenny with the the hair (laughs) Lenny with the hair in of mice and men is that Oh, oh, yeah, he just likes soft things. Yeah. Or maybe Frankenstein. I'm not sure. Yeah. Take your pick. <laughs> but yeah, like, yeah, just this idea of like, I love this so much I have to destroy it. I mean, have you ever been pe- petting like a puppy that is so cute and soft that you just want to smash it against a wall? Right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, guys, right? <laughs> oh, speaking of soft puppies. They didn't like that. I, and Sorry, for the record, no, I have never. <laughs> but I mean, it's like so cute that it like makes you grit your teeth. See, I think that um, you should probably talk to someone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm talking to you. That doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to call the cops. So it was a short one this week. And part of it is that, you know, it's the holiday season. And rather than just cancel episodes, we're, we're going to do some shorter ones here for you. But like short and interesting ones. So we've got a couple more lined up that are of the Christmas theme in the next couple weeks. So make sure to be on the lookout for that. We're going to try to get back to our Thursday releases, right? We're going to try. Yeah. 
and we're going to work on the episodes more together. So we're going to try. We do appreciate you guys listening each week and supporting us by rating, reviewing and subscribing and telling your friends about us online and in person. We're the True Crime Dumpster podcast. You can join our True Crime Dumpster Facebook group called True Crime Dumpster. Is, is that what it's called? <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at TC Dumpster and on Instagram, True Crime Dumpster. You can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. And we are taking suggestions because I'm actually starting to run out. After 53, I'm, I mean, I, I, I can always find more. But if there's a case that you want us to cover, let us know. You can also check out our website at truecrimedumpster.com and listen to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, and many other platforms. So yeah, you can tune in next week where we keep talking out the trash. Until then. Have a nice life. Have a nice brownout. (laughs) Bye. Bye.